So has the fresh look that we've been taking into the book of Acts been causing you to see anything a little bit differently? I hope it has been. Um, Maybe challenging us to live out our Christian lives a bit differently than maybe we currently have been or and have been in the past because that's been our goal. Understand the goal of when we come together on Sunday mornings, we have all kinds of goals. You know, one of the goals is we're here because we want to exalt Jesus. If we don't do anything else, I was so tempted when Suzanne leads the worship, I just wanted to walk up here and say, let's just pray. Let's just pray. And that wouldn't have been a bad thing. Um, it's a good thing. So we come together to worship the Jesus. We come together to pray. But one of the things we come together to do also, and this is why I I refrained from that, was because we come together to spend time um, looking into the Word of God and saying, what does it teach us? And we here try to kind of believe that that should be something of substance, not just a little short blur, but something of substance that can help us change how we live. Matter of fact, in the book of Acts, we use this as our example. Remember, anybody, as you've been reading through a chapter a day for these, these three months, we're two months into it. Remember reading the story about Paul preaching so late that he preached at midnight that the boy fell asleep in the window and fell three stories to his death? Um, so we kind of have a history of, 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 the, of the church from the very beginning taking time to explain the word of God. Now, I'm not going to preach you to sleep this morning, I hope. Um, I hope I don't hope I don't usually do that. Um, but one of the reasons we come together is so that we can engage our souls and our minds with God's word. It isn't just any book; it's God's word, God's inspired word. Engage me with that today. How do you want to change me with God's word, and say, God, how do you want to challenge me with that today? How do you want to change me? Because some of us in here have been doing this for a long time. You know, I'm I've been 40 years now since I became a Christian. And for 40 years, I've probably pre- I've been preaching for 30 of it. So I've preached and taught about anything you can imagine in this book, and you've heard anything you can imagine. But if we have that mentality that we've heard it all, seen it all, know it all, we stop growing. And so I hope with fresh eyes, we're looking at the book of Acts, and we're saying, God, what do you have to speak to me today to refresh? And what we're going to talk about today, I think, is going to give... Um, has a potential. It's got a lot of different results it could have, but one of the results is, especially you've been walking with the Lord for a while, it's going to be a, a, a resurgence of energy into just your, your soul and your life saying, this is what it's really all about. And, um, and I can't wait for, for what we're going to talk about today for this to happen. And so, um, so we're going to allowing ourselves to be, to be challenged. And let's remember something else here before we actually get to our main topic that what we're, as we're allowing ourselves to be challenged, this is about how we live out our Christian lives. That what we're going to talk about today and every day isn't for everybody else. This is targeted at how do Christians live out their lives. For those who are not followers of Jesus, a lot of the things we talk about don't apply. And it's not that they don't apply because they're not good. It's not that they don't apply because they wouldn't, wouldn't be good advice for people to live by or a good policy or a good a rule of thumb to live by when we follow scriptures. But it's not for everybody for a very simple reason. Because living out the Christian life can only be accomplished by living in the power of the Holy Spirit. This whole book has been what the Holy Spirit, the whole letter book of Acts has been about what the Holy Spirit does. And when we're living out the Christian life, we have to understand this is not a self-effort kind of thing. We're saying we want our lives to look like those in the early church in some regards as we've been looking at that. What applies to us today? Well, that we don't just take it and do the head knowledge and say, okay, I want to work really hard to do that. 
Rather, we surrender to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does transformation inside of us, and through that transformation, it affects how we live. So we talk about a lot of these topics we're looking at. These are Christian things. These are things that apply to us as the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit's indwelling, the Christian, that does something. It gives both the desire and the ability to live out our Christian lives. That there has to be a desire in order to do it. That's what happens when you have just empty religion. People don't have a desire to live it out, so they do it just by, by duty, and it gets old, and they walk away from it. And they go, there's nothing there. But it's not how God ever planned it. He planned to transform our lives, place his spirit inside of us when we come to know him as Savior and Lord, so that he changes us from the inside, and now there's this desire. For some reason, you chose to get up and come to church today. Instead of going to a thousand other places, there was the desire that says, I want this in my life. That's the Holy Spirit. There's the desire to, to do what God wants, and then the ability to do what God wants is just as much an act of the Holy Spirit working inside your life. You see, as Christians, we are called to a better life than the world around us. We're called to a higher life than the world around us. And that can only be experienced by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So we invite the Holy Spirit. Whenever we address another topic in Acts or anything, we invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and work and minister inside of me today. Do your work inside of me. Give me desire. Give me ability. Challenge me. Change me. Show me the things that you want better. And the Holy Spirit loves to do that. It's called, it's called growing. It's called maturing. Um, and that's what he wants to do. And this is, again, true of what we're going to look at today from the book of Acts. And you might not think it, because it's not so much about what we do, but it's, it's tied to the desire. It's tied to the, the, the desire. Something from inside us says that I am longing for this in the topic we're going to look at today. And today, this is the, the topic we're going to look at as we look in the book of Acts, is that we see this about the early church. Remember, we're looking at what do we see in the early church and what's translatable to us today. We see this lived out in their lives, that the early Christians lived in the reality that Jesus really was coming back, that Jesus really is coming back. And that really affected their lives. So grab your Bibles or turn on your phones or wherever you have scripture or look at the screen and go with me to Acts chapter 1 today. Look at Acts chapter 1. Here's your first. And let's, let's, look at, let's look at this today. Look at Acts chapter 1. Here's your first, starting in verse 6. Read it to verse 11 together. Here, let me read this to you. Chapter 1, verse 6. So when they'd come together, they were asking him, now that they is the, is the disciples. This is the 12 disciples, and they come together. Uh, Jesus has died. Jesus has rose again, or Jesus has died. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's lived, he's been among them. And so when they had come together, they had asked him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And so remember, they're talking to the resurrected Jesus. He's died. He's sitting there talking to them. Can you imagine that? They're talking to the resurrected Jesus. Verse 7, and he said to him, Jesus, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come just the same way that you have watched him go into heaven. Imagine being there. And understand this, we're reading an eyewitness account. These are people, this is written, Luke is talking to eyewitnesses who were there and they saw it. Two angels, two men dressed in white, talking about angels, two angels had a message for those who witnessed Jesus' ascension. On our um, honeymoon, we went to Arkansas. We went to actually Springfield, Missouri to check out our school. Who goes to, who goes to that's like the great romantic. Uh, we got to go to a pretty cheap place because it was by the school I was transferring to. So that was our honeymoon. And we went to the Passion Play out in, out in Arkansas, in the hills of Arkansas, the Passion Play. And the climax is when it cuts near dark and there's clouds and there's smoke and they have Jesus ascend. And you, don't, you can't see he's in a harness and stuff. And there goes Jesus up into the clouds. And he goes, and everybody goes crazy because Jesus ascended into heaven and the voice comes, why are you looking? He's coming back. That's what happened on this day. And it's one of the most important events and most important truths in all of Christianity. It's standing on the foundation of the reality that Jesus really is coming again. See, the first time Jesus came, he came as a little tiny baby and he lived this perfect life, no sin, and he gave his life as a sacrifice for mankind. We know the story of Jesus' life. He died, he, he died for the sins of mankind. He died to reveal to us. We can look at Jesus and we, he reveals the Father. We can say, what's God really like? Look at Jesus. That's why he came. So we could get an idea, a better understanding of who God is. But the second time, He's coming. He said he's coming again. The angel said he's coming again. The second time he's coming to establish his rule and his reign. He's coming to fully establish his kingdom here and through the whole cosmos where he will be known as king by everybody. And the Bible says like this, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Right now, people, some are confessing Christ and some are cursing Christ. But there's a day coming when he's going to set up his kingdom and every knee, not just some, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And those early Christians understood this. They saw him ascend and heard the angels and that affected how they lived. They knew Jesus really was alive. That's something we wrestle with sometimes. We think he's a history book. No, Jesus really, they knew he really is alive. They knew that he really was seated at the Father's right hand. They saw him ascend. And they really knew that he was coming again to fulfill, to fully establish his kingdom. So think how that affected their lives. So when persecution happened, and it happened to them right from the beginning, when the world turned against them for being Christians, and they had to flee, and they were, some were killed, some were beheaded, some were crucified. Peter was crucified upside down. Eleven of the twelve disciples were killed for their faith, and, and, and the one that wasn't John was boiled in oil, and he's just too tough to die you know, that when they were being persecuted, this is what they could say, and from the depths, okay. They knew he was coming back. They could say, you know what? It's okay. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to make it right. It affected their lives. And when life, when life was really challenging, and they faced sickness, 
and they faced lack, and they faced confusion, they could say, you know what? It's okay. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to make it right. And when they were living in the sin-corrupted world, and living in the sin-corrupted world just drove them crazy, and he's got to the point where, like, I can't take it anymore. You ever been there? You look around, you see the insanity. Anybody else look around and see anything being kind of crazy right now? The craziest it's ever been? You look around, they looked around the sin-crazy, corrupted world, and they could say this, it's okay. Jesus is coming back, and he'll make it right. It's why the church has always referred to Christ's return as what? The blessed hope. It's the blessed, or these are called blessed. I don't know why. Blessed hope, not said right. The blessed hope. No matter what's going on today, Jesus' followers should be filled with a sense of hope because Jesus really is coming back again to get his bride. That's the church. That's the people who follow him. He really is coming back to get you and to take care of you and to establish his rule and reign one of these days. He's going to make everything right. Now, the fact that Jesus is coming back is a pillar upon which our faith stands. To the Acts church, it was just normal to live in the reality that Jesus was coming back. But now here we find ourselves 2,000 years later. 2,000 is a lot. 2,000 years later. And the promise is just as true. But Jesus hasn't returned. And because of that, I see a couple different responses from people in the church. People outside the church just say it's nonsense, never happened, never going to happen. But for us, who have this something, the Spirit of God's working in us, and we, we are, it's driving us to a desire to, to, to believe, and the ability, the Spirit's empowerment to follow, we have some different, some different uh, responses. One is to some Christians... It's that, that this truth, in the reality of their existence, of their day-to-day life, this truth doesn't really exist. There's very little reality to the nowness of God. What I mean that nowness, I mean the, the fact that he really is alive, and he's really active, and he's really doing something, and that part of that nowness is that one of these days, they're going to meet him, that he's going to come back. This is kind of that, 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 that reality that Jesus could come back today, doesn't, that Jesus is coming back, doesn't really affect their lives. They live kind of like decision-making like the guy across the street who doesn't know Jesus. They have Jesus in their lives, but, but the fact that Jesus is coming back doesn't really affect their lives. That's kind of one extreme that I see. The other extreme that I see is kind of this. To, to some other Christians, they embrace his coming again, And they try really hard, they love the word, they try really hard to figure out and to speculate about how and when and where of Jesus' return. Treating out the details becomes a really important obsession in their lives. And and I'd say this, it's good and it's fine to dig into scripture and try to figure things out. But historically in that attempt, some have gotten a bit goofy and tried to set dates, and tried to set, to define certain places and certain people involved in the whole outworking of the process. And when the things that they say are going to happen don't happen, they look foolish. Now, I know I date myself when I say this, but some of you were around for this. Some of you got saved back in the 80s. 
even before that. I, got, I came to Christ in 1982. 1988, there was a book. 88 Reasons Jesus Could Come Back in 1988. Did any of you buy it? Did any of you? None of you bought it? Thank you. Did it affect some of you? It did. It affected the church world a bit. Because it affected a, a group so much, some people, that they literally sold everything, or some did this. They, cranked, they ran their debt through the roof. Borrowed money, maxed out credit cards, did all kinds of stuff because they're like, Jesus is coming back in 1988. And I'm going to walk away from They were left holding the bill, and they, 1988 came, and 1988 left. And they were left holding the bill, and they were left looking like fools. Because God never said to act like that. You see, I'm not big into speculation. Some of you are. I'm not big into speculation. I want to stick with what I know for certain. And what I know for certain is what I can see that is main and plain in the Word of God. The Word of God has some things that are they're very hard to figure out. We try to figure out and people have disagreements on them. Those to me are speculative. But some things are just not speculative. They're just the main and plain of Scripture. And I want to stand upon the main and plain of the Word of God. So today I want to tell you four truths that we know for certain from the Word of God about the return of Christ. Four truths. These four truths, I've been asked a lot of times, Pastor Mark, you don't really preach on end times very much. I say, sure I do. These four truths explain my entire understanding of end times. Four truths. We'll get to explain my entire understanding of what's going to happen, particularly responding to, pertaining to the coming of Christ. So ready for the first one? Write them down. What do we know for certain first? We know this. We've just said it already. Number one, Jesus is coming again. The angels proclaimed it. We reread the story from, from eyewitnesses who wrote it down in the book that's been tried and true and proven and proven over again to be, to be written by real people from real facts that this, inspired by the Spirit, that it really was witnessed by this group of people. It was, it was um, and the angels proclaimed it. Two, so two angels stood there and said it. So the angels said it was going to happen. But didn't stop there. Peter proclaimed it in the book of Acts. Now, Peter didn't write Acts, but it's talking about what Peter did. Look with me in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. When Peter, Peter here is preaching about what just happened, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That's what's going on. It's the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit's been poured out on people. People flood out into the streets. And they're speaking in other languages, the glories of God. And people are going, they must be drunk. And it says, he says, they're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of prophecy, um, like, like the prophet Joel had prophesied. And in the middle of that sermon, look with me at verses 19 to 21. Right in the middle of his sermon. He says, and I will grant, and he's quoting prophecy from Joel. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What did he preach? He proclaimed that there was a glorious day in the future where the Lord shall come again. He's, this whole sermon he's preaching about Jesus. And he's saying there's a day he's going to come again. And and he lived in that reality. He says, listen, Jesus is coming again. I saw him go, and he's in fulfillment of prophecy. He is going to come. Joel said it's going to happen, and I'm telling you, on this day fulfilling with the all-party of spirit, 
he fulfilled that, he's going to fulfill the fact that he's also coming back again. So the angels proclaim it. Peter proclaims it. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus himself proclaimed it. Flipping your Bibles to the book of John with me. I'm going to do a little flipping around here this morning. John 14. The angels said it. Peter said it. Now let's see here. What does Jesus have to say? You know what? I love when I turn to a section. Now, all the Bible's inspired, but I love when I open up this section, John 14. You guys have a red-letter Bible. I love my red-letter Bibles because the words written in red are the words that are quoted from Jesus. So my whole two pages here are red letters of Jesus talking, the recording of what Jesus himself said. And look what it says in John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You ever have a troubled heart in this crazy world? You have something going on in your job or with your kids or in your family or your health? We get troubled once in a while, right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is Jesus talking. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If, I, if it were not so, I would not have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus said it. I'm preparing a place and I'm going to come and get you. Come and receive you to myself. Jesus said he's coming again. Scripture is clear. No speculation necessary. If you're a believer in the word of God, he's going to come back. That's the first thing. Again, you can bank on it. You can put your money on it. He's going to come back. That's the first thing. Number two, and he's going an order of having to build upon each other. Number two is this. Second thing we know about Christ's return is this. No one knows when it will be. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus when he would establish his reign. He wants to listen to the answer. Flip back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So when they had come together, they had asked him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? That Jesus is going to restore it all. That means his coming, establishing his kingdom. He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It is not for you to know. These are Jesus' words. You want to know a fact to stand upon for understanding when Jesus is going to come back. So fact number one, Jesus is going to come. Fact number two, not speculation number two, fact number two, you don't know when it will be. It's not for you to know, he says. Those are Jesus' words. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that neither himself nor the angels know when, when he will return, that only God the Father knows what is his plan that they don't even know when he'll return. So church, this is so important. Don't get caught up in all the speculating that some people do. It's okay to try to read the times. You can tell, I know this, we're a lot closer than we were yesterday, right? And we can read the times and say, you read, read Matthew 2 through something today. You know, the, the, the Sabbath is for taking time for rest and worship at Word of God. Just sit down and read Matthew 24 and 25 there. We're gonna get those in a little while. But read those today. And hear what Jesus, is, his, his vision, his understanding of the end times. That he's God, what his understanding is. It paints a very unpretty picture of what the world will look like. I've always heard people say for, for, for you know, four decades I've been a Christian, the great end time revival. I hope that's, that's true. 
when I read Jesus' talk, and I see a great, complete destruction. And even if possible, the luck can be led astray. So we got to stay close to Jesus. That's the picture he paints. He says, you do not know when it's going to happen. So don't get caught up in all the speculating that some people do. It's okay to try to read the times, but don't make the mistake of moving past the, that to setting dates or speculating um, or, or looking at, at speculation as fact. Because some people do that. It's speculation. Well, this could be. It's okay to say this could be. But instead, instead, so I heard it at church all the time. Instead of saying it could be, they say it is. That's dangerous. Jesus says we don't know when. So we don't need to speculate about it. Jesus gave us the facts. He says, it's not for you to know when. So what do we know for certain so far? Two things. Number one, we know Jesus is coming back. Number two, we know we don't know when. What's the third important fact we know from Scripture about Jesus coming back? It's this. It could be today. It could be today. Turn back or to Matthew 24 with me. We're going to look at that. Matthew 24. And you're going to stick a bookmarker in there. You're going to go back and read it. 24 and 25 today. Because that's what you want to do on your Sunday afternoon. Great use of your time. Matthew 24. We'll read something in a minute. Matthew 20, 20. I've got to explain something first though. Matthew 24 and 25 are the most extensive teaching Jesus did about his second coming and about end times. And before we look at anything here, we need to understand something about what's going on in this section of Scripture. In this section of Scripture, where Jesus gives the most information about his second coming and end times, he primarily uses parables to explain what he's talking about. They're parables. It's a parable. You know, a lot of you, some of you don't. A parable is a short story designed to communicate a spiritual truth or a moral lesson. So Jesus is using these little short truths, stories, to communicate truth or moral lessons. And I think this is really important to notice here because parables aren't used to communicate dates and details. So 24 and 25 are not primarily used to communicate dates and details. They are used to communicate truths and values. See the difference, right? So when Jesus is talking about his second coming using parables, his intention is to get us to understand the heart of what he's saying about these, and look for the heart. So with that understanding, let's look at one of the parables and look for the heart of what Jesus is teaching about a second coming. Look at Matthew 24, verses 36 to 42. But of that day and hour, no one knows, it's talking about his coming back, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just... So one of the names for Jesus in Scripture is the Son of Man. Son of God, Son of Man. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all the way. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there, were, there, then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. So what's the heart from this parable, the heart of what Jesus is teaching about his second coming here? He's saying that Life is going to be going on just like it always does. 
just like it always does, everything happening normal, and without warning, Jesus will return for his bride. He says two men will be working, and without warning, one will be taken, raptured into the presence of Christ, two women will be doing their daily chores, and without warning, without any events to first occur, Jesus will return for his bride, for the church. Like in the days of Noah, people will be eating and drinking and marrying, and without warning, Jesus will come again. That's the heart of what Jesus is communicating here. Jesus could come at any moment without warning, and therefore it could be today. That's the message he's teaching in the parables. It could be today. The term that the church uses for this is the word imminent. Imminent meaning likely to happen without delay or impending. So think of that. It's impending. It could happen today. See, from God's perspective, God knows what he's up to. God knows what his plan is. He knows what he has yet to be accomplished. He knows if everything he planned to be accomplished is already accomplished. But from our perspective, we don't know God's plan. And that's what Jesus is saying is, I don't even know it. He says, the angels don't know it. Jesus says, I don't know the Father's plan. He says, but what we do know is that Christ's coming is impending. It's imminent. That just maybe today is the day that he is set for Jesus' return. And we must, be, we must live in that reality. We must live in that reality. Can you imagine it, friends? That according to the truths of Scripture... Today could be the day that Jesus comes for his church. That's it. Nothing else has to happen. Because God knows his plan. It could be today. It's imminent. It's impending. Jesus could come back today. So you know how I've been, great advice I was given early on in my Christian life? How do you live in this reality? You live your life today like Jesus could return. But you make your plans for life so you live, the, the actions you do, the morality you live, is if Jesus could return today. But you, the plans you live, you live as though you might be around for 100 years. So you still make plans for the future. You still save for the future. You, you don't do it the 88, the 88 reasons people, Jesus could return at 88 and crank your credit card bills up because, hey, Jesus is coming back one of these days. You don't do that. No, you make good plans, but you live your life today in a way that Jesus, if he comes back, you know, you're ready for it. And that brings us to our fourth point. Living in the reality that Jesus could return today, we know for certain that we need to be ready. That's the fourth. We need to be ready. Look again at Matthew 24, another parable, another story intended to give us the big picture, the values, the heart of what Jesus is saying about his second coming. Look at the parable starting in verse of 24, starting in verse 42. We'll read down to 51. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have been so must be ready. For the son allowed his house to be broken into. And for this reason, you also must be ready. For the son of man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. How do you like that? He's coming at an hour. He's writing to Christian people here. He's writing at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and the sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? 
Blessed is a slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour which he does not know and he'll cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Knowing that Jesus is coming back, we don't know when, it could be today, leads us to one essential outcome. Be ready. Jesus uses a parable about slaves that serve a master. One was sensible. He was doing what the master told him to do while the master was gone, and he is rewarded for it. But one slave wasn't sensible. He said in his heart, he says this, my master is not coming back for a long time. So he mistreats others and becomes a drunk. And that slave was punished for his actions when the master returned. So what's the heart of the story? Live in such a way that you won't be embarrassed when Jesus returns. Live in such a way that there won't be a negative consequence when Jesus returns. What a simple way to live. Only do or say things that would make you proud if you stood before Jesus at this moment. Think of it. You don't need rule, lists of rule of do's and don'ts. So many people want to say, can I do this? Pastor, can I do that? Is it acceptable? I just say this. If Jesus was to return today, would the way you lived today and yesterday make you proud? Would you say, yeah, I'm really glad Jesus came back? Because Jesus is saying this. This is the heart of what he's saying. Live in such a way that when I come back, and he says you don't know when, you will not expect it, that when you stand before him, you will not be embarrassed by how you're living. That's the heart of what Jesus is communicating here. He's saying it's really easy to figure out how to live. Just live in a way that if Jesus was there next to you, you would do it because guess what? He just might be next to you in five seconds. That's the heart of the story that he's trying to communicate. It's a love, it's a love letter. It's a message of, of, of grace and love saying, listen, I'm telling you while you have chance to live the right way now because there's a point where you can't change how you're living and what you're doing because how you're living really comes from what you believe in your heart anyways. He's trying to say, get your heart right so your life gets right. That's what he's getting at. This is the, this is the heart of Jesus's message on his return. Be ready. It's all about just living in a way that if Jesus returned, I'm not going to be embarrassed. If we live that way, we look forward to his return. If we live that way, we look forward to his return. We're ready because we know Jesus is coming back and it might be today. At the end of one of Paul's epistles, he ends it like this, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. And there's so many times in the 33 years we've been married, I've looked at Suzanne. At the end of the day, they go, oh, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. Like, make it today, God. <laughs> like, this would be a really good day for you to come back. But here's what I know. God knows the right day 
Because why does the Bible say there's a gap between when he came the first time and a gap between when he's coming back? He says he's extending his time to give people a chance to get right with him, to know him as Savior and Lord. So it gives us that chance, but it also gives us the chance to be part of his mission that he's called us all to. So when he comes back, I want to that day that he comes back doing what God's asked me to engage in the mission of God. I want to be doing what God's asked me to do so that when he comes back, I'm doing that. I'm living it, I'm, I'm doing it with, with all I got. I'm, sure, I'm learning this as I get older, all I got is less than what it was like 10 years ago. Evan and I were talking this morning about 10 years ago. It was 10 years ago we were in Moldova, and I was bragging him how strong he was picking these pieces of drywall up. All I did is screw them in. And he said, Mark, that was 10 years ago. I said, yeah, you can't lift them anymore. Uh, I can't hardly lift a drill anymore, <laughs> you know. So giving it all I got, it's not the same as giving it all I got 10 years ago and 20 years ago. It looks different. But are we engaged in the mission of God? Are we living in a way that we're engaged in his mission, he comes back and he says, did I find you faithful doing what I asked you to do while you're gone? Or are we just saying, I just want to do my own thing now? He's loving us so much, he's telling us up on this side, live in such a way that when I come back, and you won't know when, you don't know when, that when I come back, you're going to be like that sensible slave that's going to go, man, great job, great job. It's not about works, it's about grace. Great job, man. You're engaged in the mission that I called you to. So that's the heart of, of this Christian life. Living in the reality that Jesus is coming back. Friends, that will make you live differently than your neighbors if they don't know Jesus. It should make us live differently. We should live lives every day going, man, this could be the day. And if it is the day, I want to be involved. In, I want to be living right. I want to be involved in what he asked me to be involved in. I want the worship team to come this morning. So what do we do with the message? Well, we ask the Lord to help us by his spirit apply what he's revealing in his word to how we live today. How might that affect your today? Pray with me. Father, you know every one of us in this place by name. You have this immense plan that we, we, not only can we not conceive of it, but Jesus said he didn't know the details of it. The angels don't know the details. And you give us this, some of these things that are clear from your word. And today we want to stand upon those things. You're coming back. We don't know when. It could be today. So live in readiness. Live a way that will be proud. God, God, God could I imagine that if you came back right now and we'd be you know, sitting in church thinking about your word or, or in a few minutes we're going to sing that we'd be, we'd be in the middle of singing a song of worship to you. And I can't think of a better time or maybe a time when, when we took the risk of building a relationship with a person who doesn't know you and, and then we took the risk in that relationship of, of saying, let me tell you about my Savior. We're engaged in the mission.
because that's really the only mission. The mission is expanding your kingdom, and, and we do it by being great parents, so we pass on the faith. We do it by being involved in the, in the operation of your church, because that's the, the, the main a- engine you designed to be active in doing the kingdom business in our community. You did it in, in putting us in places where we work and where we, where we find pleasure, activities, that we're surrounded by people who don't know you. And you've done that so that you could put us in places to share the truth of who you are with people in all those different corners of our lives. God, I don't think you're necessarily calling all of us to, to get on a plane and fly to India and be missionaries. Our, our culture is lost enough the way it is. But I do believe you're calling each one of us to, to live in the reality of your return and know that that nothing else really matters. Accumulating everything doesn't matter. Achieving a lot of things doesn't matter. What matters is living with you in the moment and be involved in your mission. Seeking to save the lost. And so Lord, for each individual in this place, help us right now in our hearts to be honest with ourselves. If we reflect back over yesterday or the day before had you returned yesterday last night at 10pm had you returned would we have been embarrassed or overjoyed we're going to live in a way that we're overjoyed That'll, that'll affect how we treat one another. Those foolish arguments that we have with our family, with our spouses, with our kids. Those things we fight for in our culture suddenly don't really matter. We don't need to win. We don't need to be right all the time. We want to live in love in a way that helps people see you in us. God, this morning, we just have open hearts, surrender to you and say, would you do a work deep inside of us that helps this develop? So that as we live in the reality of your return, that the lives we live just bring you great glory. And bring us great joy because we know we're, we're living in step today and we're feeling conflicted because maybe the decisions we make the, the just the trajectory of our whole life does not point in a way that says I'm living I'm living in a way that if you return today I'd really be proud of myself Lord if by if by your loving care you're pointing that out inside of our hearts today then deep down in our souls right now surrender it up to you. God, I can't speak for everybody else, but just as the pastor of this church, I say corporately, if we're not on the path in our lives, just lovingly show us how we can live our lives in a way more fully 
that bring you joy and glory at your return. Being sensible stewards. Using all the gifts you've given us to bring you glory and expand your mission. So Spirit, just speak to us. Maybe you're also here today as we're just closing in prayer and, and you're here, you've been listening to this and you're saying, well, Jesus is coming back and, and I don't even have a relationship with him. I've never asked Jesus in my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I've heard about Christ. But I'm really my own God. If I'm honest, I'm really my own God. I follow my own path. I do it my way. But something's going on inside my soul right now. I want to turn in a new direction. Jesus came back, and I, I, I Jesus is coming back. I believe Jesus came one time, and now I see He's coming back again. And I'm going to stand before Him, and I want that to be joyous and glorious because I want Him to be my Savior, my Lord. And maybe you're not sure how to do that. Well, the Bible says you can turn away following your own way, you can follow Jesus. You can say in your heart, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Take away all the junk. Take away all the junk, all the sin, all the guilt, all the shame, and replace it with your presence. this day you can say Jesus I want to now follow you I want to now be your your follower I want to be a Christian a person who follows Christ so Lord forgive me of the junk of my past give me a brand new future where I follow you if we ask Jesus to raise this earth yes to us it's the very reason he came to this earth get us to come to him. Let's stand together, church. Let's just take a few minutes and worship with the worship team. If you feel at some point if you're done worshiping and you want to come forward and pray, just gladly come here and pray. If you want to find a place in your seat to pray, do that. Let's just end our time with a time of worship.